0: Cannot quit me so quickly. There's no hope in you for me. No corner you could squeeze me.
1: But I got
0: all the time for you, love. The space between the tears we cry us coming back for more the space between the wicked lies we tell and hope to keep safe from the
1: pain welcome back to new persuasive words i'm scott jones and i'm bill Bohr. and bill here's the thing our downloads are increasing Yes, we happy anniversary though. By the way, it's we
2: happy anniversary. I see we didn't get you didn't give me a party.
1: I, I don't. What I'm getting you is a virtual assistant actually, <laughs> because you're a busy guy. I, I know you're doing lots of in addition to pastor work. You're yeah. doing consulting all over the place, yeah. and I, I really feel like what you need is a virtual assistant. Oh. Very good. I mean, I don't have one for you. I'm not going to get one from the internet, but I think there's someone out there. Like, we have a fan from Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, that's out there. There's someone out there, I think, that would be your virtual Steve assistant.
2: as my virtual assistant.
1: That would be uncanny.
2: That would be that would be amazing. Um, there's not a union for virtual assistants, is there? Thank goodness. So they could be fired without cause.
1: We're making America greatest <laughs> again.
2: <laughs> well, we're also six days away from the election, and uh, what a weird couple days it's been. I don't want to talk about it, but we are going to be live we're going to be broadcast this is going to be a whole new thing for us kind of yeah I, I
1: mean we're still working on the tech but it is going to work i mean we're actually going to be live broadcasting we might even do facebook live and we're going to have an election show where you could listen to us live and call it in,
2: in real time
1: in real time
2: and we particularly you know we have listeners in key battleground states so those folks that are in uh, florida and ohio Babcock in florida Babaco in Florida, Redder in Ohio. We want to hear from you guys. Lipless in Camp Hill. <laughs> as Camp Hill goes, probably not. The, the state does not go. let
1: go as it will go GOP. Right, as Camp right. Hill goes, as it always does. Yeah, GOP. Yeah,
2: we're actually, and we're uh, anybody in Nevada. We we need a Nevada. Uh, we
1: need a Nevada. By the way, like we 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 had a potential crossover episode today with another podcast, which shall remain name. Less, but I'm just saying politically, we picked. I, I feel like
2: we've had some big picks politically. I think, I think, well, and I, I have given you the, the kudos that you deserve. We started this last August, and uh, you were one of the few people
1: I played golf last summer with a guy who's a Harvard educated lawyer. But when I brought up a Trump thing he's like i'm not even gonna talk with you you know like because trump's gonna have no impact i said well maybe we'll become facebook friends keep the dialogue not if you want to talk trump because he's
2: gonna have no impact impact there we go there we go now you were early on thinking this thing uh could have some wings and
1: so in 2017 bill and i are going to start screwing around with stock picks (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah or not that we know anything right yeah and uh we will uh we call the world series tonight i i know for sure a team will win tonight i don't care about cubs it. I, yeah that was a, I, again i it's, i'm not much of a baseball fan anymore but i will probably
1: watch tonight uh, this podcast is going to change we're changing the title to the carol tavers book mistakes renee were, were made but not by us <laughs> <laughs> well, what's our theme today? This is actually a holiday, religiously. Right, actually people this know, All Souls Day. Which I, you introduced me to, I did not know.
2: So this is a day where we remember all of those who are departed in the faith. and uh, As the same
1: thing, Mischief Night, night before halloween. <laughs> right. All Saints' Eve, which is All
2: Hallows' Eve, yeah, which is halloween.
1: halloween is is the most Christian holiday. I mean, it's where people from the British Isles a thousand years ago right. dressed up in good outfits, bad outfits to celebrate the non-manichaean reality of God defeating evil. Right. Even though there's a battle, All Saints' Day is the beautifully departed.
2: Right? Today is for the rest of us. For the rest of us, those of us who were Baptized and into faith, but we're not overachievers. <laughs> and someday, sadly,
1: both of us, words will be spoken. Yeah, yeah. Dirt will be thrown yeah. on our graves, mm. and then we'll go back to some terrible place with a built-in ceiling like this lowered and eat potato salad. <laughs> <laughs> potato salad will be eaten, and uh, our voices see, will not like be potato heard. Salad, so. I don't either.
2: Yeah, but uh, yeah. So there, and and. Um, I listened to your uh, special mocking cast um, uh, episode where you uh, talked about your birthday, I also talked about Reformation Day, and you had the uh, amazing Paul Zoll on it. Um, we did, and- the mesh. <laughs> i still uh i'm not quite the yes fan that he is <laughs> that's great
1: and you, you know what's amazing though that that song made it to number four with those guitar riffs and then stayed at number four in 1971 like it never went up that's so perfect for that song it, yeah yeah
2: and actually i did not know what that song was about so that was a that was a backstory i was not aware of um and i think rightfully uh you all were extolling the the merits of the Reformation, particularly of Luther's insight. uh, Sands bagpipes. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I think it's uh, on these two days that are are feast days that Protestants don't uh, recognize that it might be an interesting thing to think about what was lost in the Protestant Reformation. You and I have this conversation a (laughs) lot. Almost daily. Usually I just call and start. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, as we think about uh, about uh, what benefits Luther's insights had, I think it's also important to remember the things. That were the unintended consequences of what was lost in the Protestant uh, Reformation and the subsequent, subsequent schisms one after the other.
1: Yes, so we're phrasing the question: What was lost in the Reformation? That's uh, the episode.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, to me, I, and, and you and I disagree about this, maybe not in substance, but in degree. I, I do think um, what Paul lifted up, Paul's all lifted up the idea of, of the wonderful insight that God cares about the individual um has led to what I think is an unbiblical and sometimes unrecognizable form of religion where the individual is absolutized. I mean, I, I think tell us what you really think. yeah well, I, I think I think that I think in some whole parts of the scriptures are are incomprehensible for most uh american christians in particular but not just american christians western christians because we have very little sense or understanding of the communal nature of the faith i think we are having struggling having time right now uh grasping communal nature of human existence but uh yeah the new testament isn't talking about individual salvation and i think uh not that it doesn't care about the individual, but I think that whole that is lost. I think on on most modern listeners of the gospel.
1: Well, to that insight, I'm also indebted because Dave Fitch says that a lot, and I, and I wouldn't have known it without it. Like the, <laughs> the gospel is bigger than individual salvation. Well, I see,
2: but I think the Neo Anabaptists are are extreme individualists. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think they. But have to, you repeat yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's redundancy. So I I think that's a problem. I think because um, you know. The whole, really, power of Paul's gospel was, you know, I think summarized in the Ephesians text, which may not be exact Paul, but it's Pauline, and this idea that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in the body of in the cross, and that you know those who were separated have now been brought together into one common family one faith one lord one baptism and the oneness of the faith is you know maybe on world communion sunday <laughs> you know, we give we give a tacit nod to it but uh you know one of the apostolic marks of the cha- church one you know is the one holy and catholic church is the one is that that is just not really something that even is important to the vast majority of Christians
1: and if you want to look at like the four states Foretaste of that. Look at the Republican Party, the oneness, right? The religious. <laughs> it's a it's an eschatological foretaste. The religious party. Look at the unity. The Paul Ryan's, the the Mitch McConnell's, the Pence's, <laughs> the Trump. It's. It's really, it makes you just think, hey, that old-time religion is good enough for me. Yeah, well,
2: you know, you know, you, you joking about the Republicans, but just look at the way different Christian groups talk on uh, you know, social media, and you get a sense where uh, <clears throat> there's almost a kind of reveling, I think, in the separateness of, of Christians around a political uh, position. Uh, I think the idea that Christians are more... More uh, committed uh, and more excited about a political party than the um, mystical body of Christ is, to me, um, probably heretical. What if
1: Christians are more excited by Westworld than the mystical body of Christ? Yeah. Is that a problem? Well, no?
2: I, no, I think that's just a logical it, conclusion. Reality. Yeah.
1: I want to say, okay, here it is, Bill. I'm going with it. What was lost in the Reformation? Something, everything and nothing.
2: All right, give me, pick one and tell me.
1: Something in the sense of history goes on, right? So on one level, this is uh, Peter Layhardt's great essay about, you know, I don't want, we don't want Protestants anymore, the future of Reformation Catholic. He says, I want, you know, jolly Presbyterian, Episcopalian, that love church discipline, Eucharistic Baptists, like these things that like you can't, so on on some level, the frustrating nature of the biblical narrative is once there's something, God changes. Even before the fall, if we are true Augustinians, I'm channeling my inner Paul's all, that before the fall, God kills and makes alive it's good and then but he changes things you know he he, there has to be other things to be made new so on some level anytime there's a change something is lost and 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 when something is lost everything feels like it lost is is lost to many of us i mean sometimes this is why not that you know anything about this because this is not in your expertise but you've worked with congregations before and (laughs) like, <laughs> in, 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 you know, this yeah, is a, this is bit. this is why, pardon my French. Everyone knows the Da Vinci Code is bullshit, right? Because the Da Vinci Code is made is based on the narrative that some that, that basically everyone just believed Jesus was kind of a cool hippie, right? And then the pastors and the bishops all came in and said, "Hey, hey, we're changing the whole deal." Three hundred years right? It, it now he's God, and everybody just says, "Okay." The religious leaders say it, <laughs> we're okay. gonna go with it because every in every congregation in every communal church life there like the, the, the golden rule the law is we've never done it that way and, and the second commandment is likened on to it we've always done it this way
2: <laughs> I always thought it was a little funny uh one of the early martyrs uh Saint Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch, you know, he he leaves his church to go to Rome to be martyred, and it doesn't seem his congregation tries to talk about of going to be martyred. <laughs> no, like,
1: yes, yes, yes,
2: yes. <laughs> we'll make you safe, but please move on.
1: Yeah. USA, USA. <laughs> but I want to say like no. Okay, so I'm reading Robert Jensen's brief outline of faith, and Jensen can do more in two pages than anybody. Oh, else. I, I, like, I totally agree. You yeah. and I are
2: of, of one mind on, on you know.
1: like you don't go to seminary if you're smart enough to read any of those books. Just don't even go to seminary. Just take take Greek and Hebrew online and buy one of Jensen's books. Okay, and, and if you can figure. master
2: that, you've you have. Yes, I agree, hundred percent.
1: And he he's he starts off the book, which is edited by my friend Adam Idol. Shout out to Adam. He says, what is theology? He says, first off, we're talking about ultimate reality, God, metaphysics. But basically, those things are so contingent to communities, so I have to define the church. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, okay, this is going to take the whole book. In half a page, he says, well, you've got sacramental types that say, if you're Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or High Church Anglican, the church is a communion, a mystical body through sacraments and... You know, sophisticated mystical practices. If you're like a Baptist or Neo Anabaptist, to want to be Jack Nicholson. You say the church is its mission or its proclamation or its activities. He said, I'm going to split the difference and say the church, and we can all agree at minimal, the church is its message, is a community that exists to proclaim a message. And he said, Look, you start back, I think at the heart of it is with the prophet Ezekiel and God pulling the prophet aside and say, Can these dry bones live? Can these, can, these bones that are so dry there's not a speck of sinew on them. Can they be animated or reanimated again? And he says, that takes you back to the call of Abraham, <laughs> right. Abram and Sarah. And this is a guy God talks to. And whether you think it's an audible voice or in the middle of the night in manic activity, it's not like what people, he says, mean today, like basically baptizing their own subconscious. I really want to do this. The Lord spoke to me. Right. Like, this is different. I mean, if there's anything he says about the God of Israel, the God of Israel is chatty. He talks, and oftentimes in ways that are inconvenient. And he says, what the disciples disciples pass on is through the prophet Ezekiel, this reality that these dry bones can live, Israel's bones can live through the resurrection of Jesus, and more than just Israel, but maybe even the whole world. And so I would say that that is the thing that is not just sustained, the utterly gratuitous death and resurrection Message for Israel, Jesus, and the whole world. It's not only sustained, but like I think the Catholic Church is better now and today. Bring Francis. I mean, the, the 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 Protestants that are so anti-Reformation are often people who would have been excluded from ordination. I mean, the people that are the typical anti-Reformation types are the people that are are, are would often have been yesteryear's excluded person if there was not an ongoing. Death and rising of the church consistently. So I want to say it's not just nothing changed. I think it's the post millennial me almost wants to say we're getting better and better.
2: Yeah, I don't think that. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. I, I, I set you up. I teed you up. <laughs> well, you were, yeah, you were, I was with you. I was with you. Uh, you almost had me at hello. Um, but, uh, You know, it's hard for me to um, say—well, let me do—I'll say this. I think the Protestant Reformation was a necessary corrective to the late medieval church. Uh, Although, I mean— But,
1: Bill, in all honesty, the church— for you, the high point was the fifth century. So I mean, all, yeah, it's yeah, all no, you down know, from there. Well,
2: you know, actually, there, I don't think there is a high point. I think you know, every, if you had to pick a fifth century. No, I, I see. I no, I, I don't. I don't think that. I, I mean, for me, uh, a high point was the twentieth century when I heard about the faith. So I mean, and I heard, I heard the faith and was shown the love of Christ in a little struggling uh, country Methodist church uh, that actually. What I was taught there about the essence of the faith probably wasn't that different than what was being taught in country churches in the fifth century or you know frontier churches in the eighteenth century. So I do believe there's always a continuity. I, I think, um, I, I mean, I think we we get the reforms uh, we need and. Um, and then the reforms that we bring about are, you know, directly the cause of next generations need to reform. In other words, it's impossible for humans to totally reform themselves, which I think is a key component of the rule of faith. You know, that, even in the Netherlands. Even especially in the Netherlands, especially in the Netherlands. So, I, I yeah, one of the things it's interesting to me about the Reformation is that, um, that the impetus to try to get back to biblical Christianity constantly changes, and even biblical Christianity, I would get back, I don't even want to use the word biblical, get back to that, the core of the gospel that you just shared there. And I would also add that it's not only a message, but it's it's a it's a message that leads to a living encounter with God. I mean, that the message... Domestic- and Jensen
1: says that. He's like, yeah, look, like the, yeah. the, the message, if, if you're really proclaiming the message, you live in some level in light of it. Even, I think Jensen would say it, I mean, I might be paraphrasing, but even in your failures,
2: you live in light of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Jesus is Lord, which is the heart of the... Of the rule of faith, the core of the gospel is always in the present tense. You know, in other words, the resurrection was what's which
1: might not be good news. If Jesus is Lord is the essence of it,
2: if you're Satan,
1: the demons, or if you're just ambiguous, unless lordship involves friendship to ambiguous sinners,
2: that's bad news. Well, it depends on it depends on who the Lord is.
1: Well, that's, that's but I repeat myself. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly.
2: No, exactly. I mean, and that was Luther's quandary. You know, one of the things that strikes me about, about, um, It seems like the Reformers brought with them into the Reformation. Both their strengths and their weaknesses, whether they be uh, psychological or ideological. Um, one of the things that strikes me about Luther is that he couldn't, you know, his confessor and the person who really put him on the road to uh, his insights was someone who never felt the need to leave the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, Johann Stauffputz who was the um, general of his or- of his order, who was the one who really uh, always had deep affection for Luther. Um, you know, took him under his wing, helped him on his academic career, resigned his position in Bible teaching at Wittenberg, because he thought it would be good for Luther's soul to spend time in the scriptures. I mean, that, in some levels, uh, the father of the Reformation um, is as much, Johann Stoff puts, who... Um, who needed a virtual assistant. <laughs> if anyone <laughs> well, did. Well, I, I guess he didn't need a virtual assistant. He made Luther his, uh, his non-virtual assistant. But, huh. I, but the idea of, of, you know, to me, I, I still think there's a tendency sometimes to miss the love dimension. The human love dimension of the gospel in uh, certain understandings of, of what the nature of justification by faith is. And I think, um, I, I, think that's, uh, I think that's sometimes something that's lost in a very fundamental piety way. I think it. I think people who are really seeking to be Christian, they find it and they naturally do it. But sometimes, on a formal theological level, the role of love in in our spiritual lives and our very nature of how we are saved, to me, is sometimes lost.
1: This is like our first real debate. So I'm I'm coming back. Um, yeah, good. I think of that, Kate McKinnon. Yes, I'll come in my, exper- my 30th experience, my thirty years experience. But I took that Osama bin Laden. <laughs> uh, I I think. You're you're right. And all right, I think we're helped on the point you bring up by two realities. Or One is a person who is no longer with us, and one is an ecclesial institution that is with us, and it's very helpful on some things. The first is Frederick Nietzsche, right? So on some level, Nietzsche says, the problem with Christian charity is it often wants to be rewarded. Like, you know, I always say to people, look at how somebody is dating-wise the first three months you're with them and in generally i'm talking stereotypically to the to the ladies dealing with gents but this probably works regardless you know, people are holding doors or they're cooking meals or they're very thoughtful or they're texting back or i just saw a meme today i told a girl text me when you get home i think she's homeless like you know like, this is so on some <laughs> level like if we say it's all about love but people love You know, when they think people are watching, and so that quickly erodes. Because the fundamental thing I think that the Reformation and Jesus and Paul knows is that love can only arise seriously from belovedness. Like, you only it it can only come when you are first loved, and it's not like, hey, I'm trying to get someone to love me, but we know the unconditional love. Then you're not trying to do good works because someone is watching, or someone could watch, or someone could reward you. So first, Nietzsche. Second, I want to thank the Presbyterian Church of America, who had a study paper and oh, would other, would you know? This is a great study paper that came out a couple of years ago. That it might seem simplistic, but is an important truth that while we believe in justification by faith as a tradition, we don't believe people are saved by their belief in justification by faith. So, and Calvin talks about this. I mean, Calvin and Luther both thought there were lots of pious medieval Catholics that knew and lived lives that were probably decorated with. Good works, you know, uh, but they knew at the end of the day, if you asked them, are your good works what saves you? No, I, I, I'm just, I'm banging it all in Jesus. And if you'd asked them, the ones that could read, in right. <laughs> their catechism, they'd say, well, we're saved by works, perfect. But at the end of the day, they knew that they're saved by grace and faith alone. Yeah. And you know, they and they said their prayers and they helped little ladies across the street and they did things that were virtuous without believing that their virtue was the sum total or even probably a contributive factor to their redemption. And so I think on that level, I rest my case with Nietzsche and the PCA. <laughs> and you and I both have friends for Nietzsche and the PCA. So when everybody comes for us in the zombie apocalypse, Bill between the Nietzscheans and the PCA you and me and we can get five
2: more people down here in the bunker <laughs> well I, I do I think any either system or sentiment that in any way nullifies or weakens the idea that it's by grace alone we are saved I think has to be has to be rejected and, and leads us away from really the whole biblical story I mean the, you know the uh, um, I mean there is some debate for instance within rabbinical Judaism why God chose Israel but you know one of the do, one of the dominant dominant answers and certainly the one that we in the Christian tradition would pick up is because God just did.
1: Yeah, I mean, what is that what is the
2: Lord saying isn't Deuteronomy?
1: If I wanted a big grandiose people, I'd have chose the Assyrians. <laughs> right. But I wanted
2: you. Right. And that rather crude and uh and problematic text in Ezekiel, when God goes into great details about how he found Israel as the abandoned woman, uh, the punchline of that is that I didn't pick you because you brought anything to the table. Uh, It's just, it's it's God's disinterested love, which I think is a wonderful Augustinian biblical idea. It's like our podcast reviews. We didn't pick you because we had
1: (laughs) the downloads on Freakonomics and Dan Carlin didn't work, so we wound over to new persuasive words.
2: But I, I think there is something to the fact that um, that we it can be treated almost like, all right, I had this experience, uh, got my papers, I remember, <laughs> years ago when I was a young life, uh, area director was going to take a kid on a weekend trip, and his mom said, why are you taking him on this trip? I said, well, he's part of the, Part of the uh, you know the group, but well, what are you going to do on this trip? Well, we're going to talk about faith. And she goes, "He doesn't need to come. He has his papers." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I just think the antinomian doesn't really exist in the sense of it's like First John said, if they, lo- if they left us, they never were part of us. Like, you think like somebody that is really has experienced redemption doesn't say things like you, you just don't know. I mean, people, yeah, I just don't know people like that. Like that, that yeah. in a in a clear moment. Of self-realization, say, you know what? The more sin I make, the more grace I take. I mean,
2: but I do have, I do know people that had kind of self-justify, uh, being hate, keep, keeping hate in their hearts, being bigoted. Say, well, you know, Jesus has saved me, so that's okay. That's to me, that's antinomianism, and that may very well come close to nullifying the grace of God. Yeah, and I think that's that's. I mean, I think that there certainly are. I, but
1: do, okay, so are, are certainly warning. That, are, are people? Warning. Are they people that know? They're saying, look, I know white supremacism is wrong. I know my individualism is wrong. And I'm pretty much banking on the fact that even though I know it's wrong, even though I have hatred in my heart, that this will, this gratuitous grace of God that comes through something like a transactional thing through a, a pagan sacrifice where... You know, God who wasn't disposed to me before, the wrath is propitiated, turned back, and now God is happy. So now I have carte blanche. I mean, I think it's probably more like, look, it's really hard for people to understand, but my racism is part of, or my sexism, or the thing I'm trying to justify, which I don't even, it doesn't sound like justifying to me, is part of the old, old story. I mean, I I don't think people are that self-consciously delusional.
2: Uh, Well, yeah, but I think sometimes people uh, openly ignore... Uh, the clear command of the gospel. I think there's this great scene in uh, Dead Man Walking where it's kind of a penultimate scene before he, you know, he's going to be killed and he's going to be executed in a few days. And uh, the uh, the nun is really, argue, you know, just struggling with him to finally own what he did. And he, at one point, he just kind of and says, He says, Well, I know Jesus is my savior. He's forgiven me. And she goes, It doesn't just work that way.
1: You know, I don't think anyone that really experienced redemption
2: says that. I, like, uh, I, I, I i Scott, I, I, think... I've, I've, I encounter it in different versions. I've encountered it in scores of ways in pastoral counseling. And, you know, and frankly, I. I, I, I sometimes am suspicious you know in retrospect if on some level I was operating that way and that's part of what and you know I, in, in some dimensions i you know rich constantly brings us back to renewing that initial commitment and you know um the idea of confessing our sins so that we can continue to to, to be engaged with that initial, Saving work, I, I I guess for me part of it. And what do you do about that parable where the unforgiving servant? Where you know it's clearly it's clearly an analogy for God's forgiveness. Where the guy forgives this person of a huge amount, and he, you know Susie as as gets out of dinner's prison. He finds a guy owes him just a little bit, and you know the punchline of that is you know the person who was forgiven a lot that gets taken back because he never was able to forgive it himself. I mean, I, that is that I think at least that is one of those you can't really explain that one away uh, and I'm not saying to make it a large theological you know uh, I don't think it, it, it's, it could be part of a point of a creed but I think it's one of those kind of Jesus has a lot of Jesus is a little grayer about this I think than Paul is
1: I would go to Capon and Von Balthasar and I would say I'm not a universalist but I hope God is
2: <laughs> well I'm not saying I, I hope he is but you asked what I do with it I, I just said but I think it's a warning I my case I think it's a warning for those of us <laughs> I'm the gracious Trump. Wrong. I I think that's a warning for those of us who might uh, somehow, in the name of thinking that we're under grace, have devised a, a, some sort of formula of cheap grace. And I and again I I hate I hate Bonhoeffer in the, in the hands of uh, already you know, of Protestant Christians already looking for works for righteous because they use that cost discipleship book like a weapon. I got used as a weapon, but I do think there has to be. We have to be careful that. Um, that and and again, I think you know Luther got Luther paid for his insights, and I I think Luther uh, though he's wonderful re- rhetoric. I always said I'd rather read you know uh, one page of Luther to every you know twenty of Calvin, and I think sometimes you know he he is more nuanced, for instance, on his doctrine of Christian life, and people often give him credit for. I just think it's something that that can you know. Uh, it can be problematic in some uh, Christian circles, evangelical circles, and there are liberal versions, in uh, liberal Protestant versions of it as well. And don't get me wrong, I've had hundreds of Catholics over my pastoral career have to come to my church to hear the, the gospel that is, is preached in their church, or at least it's in the liturgy and it's in their catechism, but they had to come somewhere else to really for it to take root. So I understand. I'm not saying that there wasn't problems in the Counter Reformation. There are huge problems in the Counter Reformation. But I think this loss of community, a loss of sometimes a clear sense of what it means to love God. um, I think a loss initially of sacramental theology, although that's certainly making a great comeback. I mean, I think all. I think there is an intuition to go back to what's necessary and what's essential, and uh, it comes in very strange forms. But that's kind of the wondrous thing about the church. That I do think there is the spirit is a, a. and well, and, and trying to correct where people are open to be corrected.
1: I think there's no such thing as cheap grace.
2: I think uh I think it is a a tag that can be used to describe a kind of false piety in in churches.
1: I think there is false piety and I think there is casuistry, right? Like I think that and what we do with the law for instance. Like casuistry is, you know, when when Jesus says if you look at a woman with lust, it's the same as adultery. Well, that's not what he really be. and Bill, you and I have have served in congregations where I mean this is what, you know, because we couldn't get more honest work, actually, you know, we're employed by people pay us to tell them Jesus didn't really mean what he said, or St. Paul didn't mean what he said. I mean, these are, you have to understand some nuance and this kind of thing.
2: That's, of course, one of my favorite things to do is when, you know, I mean, he says it about six different times in the Sermon on the Mount, six different ways, you'll be forgiven as you forgive. Yeah. I think what Jesus meant there was that you'll be forgiven as you forgive, which creates a bit of a quandary to this.
1: But I think what he's saying actually is, look, we're all, like, if you, because he says, unless you're righteousness exceeds the Pharisees. And these are religious athletes right. who would be better probably stewarding their money, mm-hmm. praying, doing nice things, anything, unless you do better than that, you've got no hope. And everybody thinks, just like he says, there's, you know, it's easier to, you know, for a rich person to get through the eye of the needle. Like, I mean, this is, it, basically, it's, I would say, I want to bank it all, all on the book of Jonah. three eight. Look at Bill, I didn't even grow up like in the church even in the evangelicals.
2: You're doing some uh, chapter and verse. I'm impressed. This is Spurgeon. Like, look at me. Spurgeon says,
1: this is the essence of Reformation faith. Salvation is of the Lord. I mean, it's all, all, all on the divine side. And I think that at that point... Now, I do think there's false piety. I think there are religious exercises. I think there's ideology in the church. Ideology, Bill, which Neonabaptism and Zizek help us root out. But I think <laughs> at the end of the day, when someone experiences real redemption. It's like Beckett. I mean, they realize that like God doesn't call the qualified, but qualifies the called. And, and you just, the self-justification stuff oh, I, drops I, away in authentic moments of redemption.
2: I agree. But I think, and it's, it's, you know, clinging to that first love. I still think we have to be careful when Jesus says, you will be judged as you judge. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, I, I just think those are... um those are warning signs that don't necessarily naturally fit in the sometimes some of our theological systems. And I, I'm not saying that's calling for works for righteousness. I'm thinking, but that's something that we have to be really open to. I think it's kind of like the manna principle in terms of if if we fall on the grace of God anew every day, We it's like if we get up every morning and remember our, our that we are loved, or what's even better— is at the end of the day or at the end of the week or sometimes the end of the month, we go, oh my gosh, I've forgotten my beloved. And then that's, you know, on one level we never cease to be proud And I
1: think, what does that look like? I mean, Capon in, in his great book about the parable says, you want to know if you understand this thing,
2: Ask what kind of advice
1: you'd give to the publican. So let's say week two, and he still prays the same prayer. And they say, well, here's a guy that's, def- he's a tax collector. He's defrauding his own people, probably whoring around, probably drinking too much. He says, well, what if he downgrades from like, you know, a single malt to a, a Cuddy Sark? <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't go to prostitutes anymore, but just goes to hooters. And, you know, th- then is he living, is he closer on the path? And he said, what if he just is living the same way and prays the same prayer? And is he like, but with authenticity, he is just as broken and vulnerable as he was the week before. Is he, he says, no, the Pharisee and us wants to put him on a discipleship program. And I just think I'm not into that.
2: Yeah but I I think you know if the rich young ruler would just pray the sinner's prayer would would that be okay I, I don't think that's the I don't think that's the power of that story so I, I- I, I don't think it ever ceases. Yes,
1: if the sinner's prayer was, "Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner." Yes, <laughs> that, that prayer was incredible well, no, because he was a chaser, He was into casuistry. He thought the law could be reduced to a set of moral principles, like if he went to the right Jesuit education, that he could ideologically. No, no, the the, could, the law,
2: the Torah is the Torah is not a set of moral principles.
1: No, it's it, the Torah by the Torah's standards, we are all damned to hell.
2: No, but what I'm saying, the Torah is a gift of, was seen as a gift of God, in how in order to show us how we may live. Yeah. absolutely but i yeah i, I wouldn't call that it, wasn't it's it's i mean at some levels was it
1: gamaliel that said or who was it that that a pagan said, "We'll all convert to Judaism if you recite the whole Torah on one leg." And he just puts up one leg and says, "I love the Lord your God with all our heart, and soul, and mind, and love your neighbors as yourself." Done, right? But, but no. But if that is the law, I mean, and this is where the Sermon on the Mount. Where people say Jesus is really preaching the gospel of the Sermon. On the Mount, Jesus is ratcheting the law up in the sense of if you look, your observance might be punctilious, but your motives. I mean, Jesus sounds like a Kantian, right? Kant thinks, well, if you're if something is done that it's a virtuous act but is done for the wrong reason like let's say after 911 you sign up and you do a sacrificial act in military service, but you do it because, on some level, you lost someone, and there's some self-interest and passion. Then that moral act is invalidated for morality, even though it's, it might be sacrificial, because your heart invalidates
2: the action. I, I agree 100. percent That section of the Sermon on the Mount—that's what that's talking about. But there's there's a lot of th- a lot of territory covered in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, again, I think you know it's a summation of the teaching of Jesus from different. Yeah, you know, I mean. Parts of his career, most likely, but
1: I will stand with that part. And Emmanuel Kant, you can stand with the Jesuit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll
1: never forgive them for what they did to the Jansenists.
2: Yeah, uh, no, I'm against that too. Uh, it still strikes me as really interesting that uh, most of Geneva was converted back from Calvinism by the preaching of the love of Christ by uh, Francis de Sales. And, I, you know, there's still to me something that. Um,
1: yeah, but that's just saying. Like I could say, it's 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 really interesting. that A lot of Jesuits now follow Joel Olstein because the, the preaching is you know. I mean, that, that, no, you
2: know, I we could talk about I, the I pragmatic like, no, I working on I the ground. I mean, no, I wasn't that's... saying I wasn't, but I'm just saying that that the spiritual needs of a highly religious period, which some people often get wrong. The The Reformation happened because of heightened senses of religiosity. Um, and you may even see some of what happened after is almost like a burnout, I mean, in, t- in some levels. But it, was, it wasn't it was because of falling away. I mean, you know, Luther's whole time as a monk was in the midst of, con- you know, there was immense of controversy on how do we reform the church and what's the best strategy for doing that. Uh, so the idea that I do think that uh, we're always called to kind of look, our, to measure what we're doing and in in view of what the gospel teaches, what the, the whole of the scriptures teach us, as well as what the best of our tradition has um, has come come up with, I, I just think that it's not quite so neat uh, as sometimes the um, sometimes what the reformers thought it was. And I wholly support their desire to reform something that totally needed to be reformed. But uh, a lot of the legacy of what they have given us. Um, might be as, as bad as what they were trying to reform from.
1: I think it's as neat as two Corinthians, as Jesus is the yes to all God's promises. And I'm going to stand with the law of gospel, Lutherans, today. Uh, it, we've had a good good debate here. and. Everybody should vote, and it's make sure, wherever you come down our discussion, that religion doesn't become a no or a long distance runaround, but that you experience it as a yes of grace. However you experience
2: it. Oh yeah, we must. uh, We all have to go to our water closets, uh, as Luther did, uh, to remind us that uh, God came down in human humanity and in humility. and suffered that we might receive the full the full bounty of his love and grace
1: the straightest the shortest distance between two points is never a long distance runaround